Welcome back, folks. It's episode four of Let's Talk About Water, a podcast dedicated to the future of water and why you should care. It's a presentation of the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan and the Walrus Lab. I'm your host, Jay Familietti. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's 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 talk 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 about water. 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 You may recall last episode, we took things international, headed to Tel Aviv, Israel to talk to Gidon Bromberg. He's the Israeli director of EcoPeace Middle East, a regional organization that brings together Jordanian, Palestinian, and Israeli environmentalists to promote sustainable development and advance peace efforts in the Middle East. We get into how science and research can bring people together, even in the midst of serious violence and conflict. A lot of Gidon's work looks to break down borders, sometimes literally, in the name of peace and improved quality of life. Well, we just couldn't get enough of his look at cross-border problem solving, so we split up our interview into two parts. We're going to dive right in. Here's the second half of my interview with Gidon Bromberg. I'm curious how long Echo Peace has been, and when I first met you, you were called Friends of the Earth Middle East, right? And so how long have you been together as a as an organization and working on these problems because um, it's the, you know, it takes time to build that trust, right? And takes time to do the education. Uh, how long has it been? So it's been 25 years. Wow. I had no idea. So the organization was founded uh, really straight after uh, the signing of the peace treaty between Israel and Jordan and the Oslo Accords between Israel and the PLO. So at the end of 94, a group of about 16 environmentalists, uh, Israeli, Palestinian, Jordanian, and at that time also Egyptian, came together uh, out of fear that uh, peace might lead to unsustainable development. At, at that time, the concern was that uh, uh, sustainability wasn't on the peace agenda, and our efforts were, were being directed to make sure that <clears throat> the peace negotiations and then the implementation of the peace treaties um, uh, would, would, would make sure the carrying capacity is being considered. As an example, 50,000 new hotel rooms were being proposed to be built around the Dead Sea by the Israeli side, Jordanian side, Palestinian side, without anyone considering what the other side was planning or what the capacity of the Dead Sea... Yeah, that's, uh, so, that's so typical, right? Exactly. Now, now sadly, uh, the peace process very quickly collapsed and Equipeace had to reinvent itself. So the organization was established under the name of Equipeace with, with more of a watchdog uh, role. But very quickly as the peace process wasn't moving forward and, uh, and large-scale investments that we were fearful of weren't coming through, we had to ask ourselves, well, are we still relevant? And in, in those years where we developed our organization, we came to understand, well, we're actually an example. While the peace process was collapsing and, and literally there was violence in the streets, we saw ourselves as an example of, of how we can build trust, how an issue of common concern such as our shared environment can bring us together in very practical ways to solve our critical issues or some of our critical issues. And therefore, um, we changed the very nature of the organization and, and turned ourselves into an environmental peace building 
organization. Now, um, at some point in there, uh, we joined uh, Friends of the Earth International, and that's why we added the name uh, Friends of the Earth Middle East. And in the end, we, 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 we moved on from Friends of the Earth and uh, our own uh, identity as a local uh, environmental peace-building organization was much more important to us. Mm. So I imagine then part of... So, so <clears throat> what I see here, it may be part of the reason behind your success, is that you and your colleagues had a great vision, thinking way ahead of time about things like carrying capacity and sustainability uh, in a water-stressed water region and in a region that's been prone to conflict. But many times we look for a, a quick fix. And you folks are not about the quick fix. You're about the long-term, deep commitment, career-long commitment, right? So have you done other things before you moved into this, or has this been your you know, main career focus? So uh, on a personal level, this has been my, my main yeah. career focus. I, I studied law, and I, I worked as, a, uh, as, a, as an attorney for four years, but um, I knew that uh, I wanted to focus on public interest issues. I actually thought that I was going to focus on human rights law, and in the end, almost fell into the, to the environment, and, and, and as you just heard, developed the whole concept of environmental peace building um, uh, that, that has very much been mm. you know, the source yeah. of, of, of my strength. But not only mine, we have staff you know, like me that, that have, have been in the organization for the full 25 years. Yeah, that, that, so that's amazing. And the transition, as you described it, was from sort of watchdog to peace building. That's really, really important, right? So in the water world, so all of my experiences, most of it's been in the United States and now more recently in Canada, and there are a lot of watchdog organizations, a lot of finger pointing, and there's you know, many, far fewer groups that are trying to work together and think about about peace building. And so it's it's really, really an important lesson. I'm curious how big the organization is. You've been around for... Uh, 25 years, you're having some success. So we're 60 staff, uh, basically, you know, 20 staff from each country, uh, where, whereby every staff person has their counterpart in the other office, focusing on a transboundary problem to solve. Um, uh, for the most part, we're terribly understaffed for the type of issues mm -hmm. that, that we're undertaking. And um, we've also you know, been asked to share our experience in other places of the world. So uh, for the last four years, we've helped a local organization in the Balkans, in Bosnia, develop the Good Water Neighbors program uh, in the Bosnian setting. So uh, you know, taking some of the experience that we've had, that we've built over these years, and then adapting it and applying it to their circumstances. So, so we have a new department that, that we've recently uh, uh, developed that's also looking at, 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 a, at a broader global uh, learning. Yeah, I think that's so important. Again, I think this, you know, you offer this, this template, um, not necessarily a cookbook, but, you know, you've got, uh, you've got some things that have worked for you. It would be so important to share. Have you thought about other regions? So I'm thinking about India, Pakistan comes to mind. What other regions are you talking to or, or have expressed interest? So, so it's been mostly groups that have come to us. Um, uh, in fact, um, <clears throat> we've had a delegation of Pakistanis and Indians uh, participate in, in a workshop with us together. Um, we've held a workshop in Morocco 
uh, earlier this year, we held a workshop in Nairobi, uh, also in Africa. Um, we'll, we'll probably hold later uh, next year uh, a workshop in Nepal. So sadly, there's no shortage of mm -hmm. areas that are, uh, are suffering from conflict and, and climate insecurity and water insecurity. Um, what, the, what, 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 what methodology that, that we bring is a methodology that, that perhaps helps environmental organizations that <coughs> saw themselves as uh, first and foremost environmental to think beyond uh, uh, the environmental toolbox and look at the toolbox of peace building opportunities that they have. And it's the combination of, of the two that, that can help make a difference. So you know, where, uh, where things are, are, are tough on the environment side, then you can try and push um, uh, some, some chords on the peace side. And when things are tough on the peace side, then you focus more on the environment side. You create more opportunities to move your issues forward. You, you try to always make sure um, that you have someone that you can uh, uh, talk with, that you, that you can convene from the different parties. And by expanding the conversation uh, to make sure that you know, we're not just talking about uh, tree hugging, we're, we're, we're talking about um, you know, our critical environment, but we're also co uh, talking about the livelihoods of communities. And we're talking about the very national security concerns of, of governments and regions. And, and that way, you know, we can walk into a prime minister's office in our own countries, but we can also speak with a foreign minister of almost any country in the world that, that has interest in the Middle East or um, e even be asked to present at the UN Security Council, which we uh, were asked to, to speak before um, in April of, of, of this year. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. How did that go? Amazing. So... Uh, we were given uh, the opportunity, we were invited by the president of the UN Security Council to present our work as an example of how uh, Israelis and Palestinians in particular can work productively together. And the Security Council, I think, were particularly interested in, in our work uh, because on the day-to-day, -day, uh, there's nothing but condemnation of each other at the Security Council. Both the Palestinian ambassador... Uh, to the Security Council and the Israeli ambassadors to the Security Council at the end of our talk thanked Echo Peace. And almost every other ambassador hit the floor because they'd never seen the two ambassadors sort of agree on something together. And, and again, it's an example of hope. It's an example that, can that shows decision makers and the broader public that we can work productive, productively together. And if we can work productively together on one issue, such as water, then again, it pulls the rug from those that come and, and, and claim that there is no partner to peace, that we're, that, that we're incapable of working with the other side because the other side doesn't want to work together on anything. Well, you know, we, we prove the opposite. And by, by creating that precedent, um, we build trust and hope and, and take it on to, to another level. So, you know, it's really, it's really uplifting to, to hear you about your experiences and, and uh, the great success that you're enjoying but have worked so hard for. Um, it strikes me that in water, so more on the technological, engineering, uh, 
computer modeling, satellite kind of work that I do is, is much more on the technological innovation. And what you're talking about are social and political innovations that are so critical when we're talking about these major uh, transboundary issues like we have in this region and so many regions around around the world. Uh, Although I think it's a combination, it, it, it's um, you know it's working with the scientists such as yourself yep, right. and and bringing that evidence uh, to the table, but but not uh, not only as internationals to our own governments, but as locals, Israelis, Palestinians, and Jordanians, mm -hmm. and I think that's where the collaboration is yeah. so is so critical. Yeah, I, and and I agree, and I think the collaboration of like people like me with people like you becomes critical because um, we need to scientists like myself need to feed organizations like yours with the best available science. You don't have the capacity to do that. That's not that's not the reason why why you exist. Uh, so I hope that. Uh, in my field, uh, people that are listening to, to our discussion will think about that and think about the, the role that they can play in providing the best available science to organizations like yours. So I have to ask you, uh, uh, I've been dying to talk to you about this, uh, and it gets to the demise of the, of the Jordan River. The popular narrative, of course, about Israel is that it's a beacon of hope in water management, uh, and, and rightly, deservedly so, right? Pioneers of technology like drip irrigation, a model for um, water monitoring and governance and the water uh, uh, education programs that I'm familiar with are top flight. But what most people don't realize uh, is that the Jordan River is really an environmental disaster, um, that the Dead Sea is a, is a wasteland, uh, that's becoming more toxic as its inflows uh, as its inflows decrease, and the concentration of its contaminants increase. Uh, what is up with that? It seems like Israel clearly doesn't value environmental flows. So, so there's definitely been a real contradiction there, because on the one hand, you know, incredible leadership in technology, in the manufacture of, of water, in the governance and so forth, as you said. Yet when it came uh, to water for nature, it was almost considered a waste. That water is scarce, people need every drop of water, and in the midst of conflict, um, allowing uh, water to flow beyond your own border um, uh, empowers the enemy, and therefore don't allow it. Uh, to flow, don't allow it to empower the enemy. So that's it. You know, that is uh, an interesting dimension. I was about to say, oh, that sounds like California, where part of the narrative was any water that flows out into the ocean from the rivers on land um, is is a waste, which of course is is not true. But you have the extra complication of the water crossing over the the borders. So, so in the case of the, of the lower Jordan River from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, the Jordan becomes the actual border. So in the, in the mindset of conflict, not only uh, was water being taken by all sides, so by you know, Israel, uh, by Syria, and by Jordan uh, for legitimate needs of agriculture, domestic needs, industry, um, but was taken all of it in order to prevent 
the enemy being empowered. Um, and, and that's a mindset that is not uncommon uh, to, a, to a conflict setting, and, and it, it requires a tremendous amount of, of education uh, to overcome. So despite the fact that a peace treaty was signed uh, between Israel and Jordan, with the rehabilitation of the River Jordan as one of the items agreed to by the sides for a decade, nothing moved forward. Raw sewage continued to flow down the Jordan and no fresh water was released. And the attitude of uh, the respective water authorities and governments was that that is okay. Um, the, the river doesn't count. We have more serious issues in place. And, and really only uh, by educating the public first and foremost of the local communities um, uh, that uh, uh, because it's a border area, um, uh, they didn't see uh, the demise of the river anymore. It's mined, it's fenced, and there's no access to the river or, or it's heavily um, uh, limited. Um, so we developed neighbor's path trails that would bring local communities to actually see what has, what has happened, to, to actually visualize and see in their own eyes raw sewage flowing down the River Jordan. And then you're bringing religious uh, leadership on board, you know, Jews, Christians, Muslims, um, who, according to our respective faith traditions, put you know, great importance on this river. It's a, it's a river of miracles. It's a river for all three Abrahamic faiths. Yet we turn this river into little more than a sewage canal. Um, so, you know, uh, educating, bringing uh, uh, f uh, leadership, faith, local communities, um, and then coupled with um, uh, uh, lots of research. So undertaking an integrated master plan um, that, that identifies the extent of the loss on the one hand, 50% loss of biodiversity, um, but on the other hand, the potential, uh, moving from a, a corridor of poverty and, and, and connecting the dots that ecological uh, demise leads to economic demise and can threaten political security because of, uh, uh, of the unsettling of poverty um, in any national economy. Um, that, that this can all be turned around if we clean up the river. And uh, I, I think our success in, in you know, getting sewage treatment plants, uh, getting sewage treatment plants built in the Jordan and, and to start to seeing a little bit of fresh water flow, again, is not because we've managed to change the mindset that uh, the environment necessarily uh, counts. That, that's still low here. That's still not a priority issue in any of our countries, um, including Israel. Um, uh, uh, the, the rehabilitation is being, you know, is being led through uh, an understanding of, of the lost economic benefits and, and the potential that working together uh, can bring stability, uh, can, can perhaps build some trust. So it's actually the peace and economic angles um, that, have, that have helped us uh, advance some of the, um, uh, the success and some of the progress. There's still a lot of, of work here that needs to be done, including you know, in, in a country uh, of, of, uh, such as Israel, which has a high uh, GDP, uh, on the environment side. The environment is, is still seen as an issue uh, that uh, can wait. Uh, security, uh, economy comes first. 
So when you look um, into your crystal ball and you look at 100 years from now, what's happening in the Jordan River Valley? What does it look like? What's the cooperation looking like? So a great deal, of course, depends on the rest of the world, given uh, climate change and how uh, uh, the impacts of climate change are so severe on, on our region. Our ability to cope with the disaster that climate change is bringing bring, uh, upon us uh, does depend on, on also the rest of the world um, in reducing CO2 emissions. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot that we could do. And Ecopeace actually has a program in place that the, the river, instead of uh, uh, being the source where every side takes away uh, its waters and puts it in its own pipes and canals and dams, that there is sufficient trust to allow the river to become a multi-purpose, multi-use, natural carrier, that we can uh, all allow the fresh water to go back and, and flow down and take from the river itself and not through cement and man-made uh, canals. Um, uh, uh, we, we see the further advance in, in technology. And, and there's game-changing game advances that, that we can benefit from. Jordan is already you know, a regional leader in the production of, of solar electricity. Um, that is a game-changer because uh, Jordan, because of its vast desert areas, can become a major producer and exporter of green electricity, not only for herself, but for her neighbors that Israel and Palestine would buy. And then given the game-changing uh, technological advance in membrane technology for desalination and for the treatment of sewerage, we see a massive increase in manufactured water that must be powered, you know, not by fossil, but um, uh, by green electricity, not only um, as a means of, of, of actually uh, highlighting both climate mitigation and climate adaptation, but as a means of creating healthy interdependencies right. Right. so that um, Jordan has something to sell to Israel and Palestine. And Israel and Palestine can use Jordan's electricity, green electricity, to desalinate on the Mediterranean and sell something back. Yeah, I th so I think that's a brilliant idea, creating those very healthy interdependencies seems to me will really underpin the regional stability. And, and, and that, you know, they, these are lessons that we've, we're, we're trying to draw from Europe. Um, you know, the Middle East is not the only part of the world that's seen you know, uh, tens or hundreds of years of conflict. Europe um, had, had seen hundreds of years of, of unknown bloodshed, yet what in the end you know, helped bring stability to Europe is the inter interconnectedness of, of that continent's most important natural resources at that time, coal and steel. Well, the coal and steel in this century, uh, here in the Levant, is the sun and the sea. And by harnessing you know, those two natural resources in a sustainable manner, we, we, we do see that we, we can create uh, the stability and the shared prosperity um, uh, that is absolutely essential uh, for our uh, for our future. I'm sure our listeners are wondering how they can learn more about EcoPeace, perhaps how they can get involved in EcoPeace. What what can they do to learn more about it or to get involved? So lots of things. So f firstly, we uh, we produce a monthly newsletter in English that you can subscribe to on our website, ecopeaceme.org. 
we have Facebook pages in English, in Arabic, and in Hebrew um, that, that people can join um, uh, uh, for uh, uh, both faculty and students. Um, we're looking for partnerships, so for students' internships. And we take interns in our Ramallah, in our Amman, and in our Tel Aviv offices. Um, we're looking to partner uh, with faculty, with the academic and scientific communities, because, as you said earlier, we're not the scientists. We don't have the resources and we don't have the expertise. And, and we well understand that we, we must work together and bring that best science to our region um, in order to, to try and get the results. So um, uh, lots of opportunities uh, of working together. And we're often um, uh, invited uh, by local faith-based communities who've come to understand that the Jordan River you know, is not just Israeli, Palestinian, Jordanian. It's also part of their heritage, wherever they, may, they might be, in Canada, the U.S., or anywhere else. And, and they're uh, interested to learn about what they can do. They're interested to learn about what happened to the river and how, the, how they can get involved with their community, including coming and, and, and visiting you know, the, the river valley with us um, uh, in order to be you know, spokespersons for the river back home. And that's also very important. We found that you know, we've been able to pass resolutions in the U.S. Senate and pass resolutions in the European Parliament for the benefit of the Jordan River and constituencies you know, from those respective peoples helped us get there. And then those resolutions um, very much spoke to you know, the prime ministers and, and presidents of our, of our region and, and called on them to take responsibility. Gidon, uh, it's been a pleasure uh, reconnecting with you and having this conversation. And we took a field trip yesterday and spent the day uh, along the Jordan River and up at the Sea of Galilee. And we really, really appreciate it. And you're right. If you don't see it, if you don't see it firsthand, it's too abstract. Right. And so there is a challenge to uh, those of us on my side of the microphone, the, the academic uh, university community. Um, I challenge and encourage you to reach out to organizations like Echo Peace. Uh, we simply have to provide these organizations with the best available science. The problems are too urgent, as we've heard about today. And I'm holding in my hand uh, my thank you for it's just a modest token of, of our appreciation. It is a global institute for water security, GIWS. Hockey puck, because we're Canadian, that's for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I look forward to using that on, uh, <laughs> on, on a field somehow, here in the region. Somehow. somehow. There's really only one response you can give to that, and that is, what the puck? <laughs> uh, uh, thanks so much. Guidon Bromberg is the Israeli director of Echo Peace Middle East. Thanks so much. That was awesome, man. That was I great. I learned something every time I talk to you. I hope you all enjoyed that real-world talk with Ginon. He gave a great crash course on how water is an everyday issue in Israel, Palestine, and Jordan. Thanks for listening. This is a podcast in collaboration between the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan and the Walrus Lab. Now, just to let you know, this is our last episode of 2019. We'll be taking a break over Christmas and back at the start over January. Make sure you subscribe on Apple or your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss our triumphant return. We've been busy gathering interviews out in the field and have some great guests coming up in early 2020. One way to keep up 
maybe even get some sneak peeks, is to give our Facebook page a little like. You can type in facebook.com backslash LTAW podcast to find us. It works. I tried it. I know. Or check us out on Twitter and Instagram. Just type in Let's Talk Water. If you have topic ideas, feedback, or whatever, just let us know in any of these pages. I have a few folks to thank for making this episode happen. First to EcoPeace Middle East for setting us up with a studio in Tel Aviv. Thanks to Podcasty Studio for hosting us. And to our folks on the ground, Mark Ferguson, Chelsea Laskowski, Amy Hergott, Laura McFarland, Jesse Widow, Morgan Bratton, and Palash Sanyo. I'm Jay Family Eddie. Catch you in 2020.